All right. I've got a question for you. I want you to be thinking about this. If God was going to speak to you, like at some point in time today, how would he do it? How does God talk to you? That's really the question I'm asking. If God were to talk to you, how would he do it? While you are stewing on that, I want you to get your Bibles open and turn over to the Gospel of Luke. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning in a few different spots. We're going to start in Luke chapter 7. Uh, but we're starting a series today on John the Baptist. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was the greatest human being to ever be born and live. That's a pretty you know, substantial thing to say. And I think often we overlook him. So as we think about Christmas this year and ramping up to that, we're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist and what was it that made him such a spectacular uh, individual. All right, so I'm sure you've all gotten enough thought on this here. I'm going to actually, we're going to take a poll now. I'm going to ask, I'm going to go through here. I'm going to ask you, if God were to talk to you, how would he do it? And I want you to say your name so we all know your name and, and give us some indicator of your age. Like, I'm old enough to not have to tell you how old I am. That would work. Um, I'm a kid. You know, I'm in, I'm in fourth grade, I'm in college, whatever, you know, that's fine. But just give us your name, an indicator of your age, and, and tell me how would God speak to you. So if you want to answer this question, go ahead and put your hand up. Um, otherwise, I'll just come and find you, because I'm not afraid to do that either. Oh, here we go. I'm Bailey, and I'm in fourth grade, and I think God would come to me in a vision. In a vision. All right. Okay. What, what other ways might God come and speak to, to, to you? We've got somebody back. Here we go. Here, we'll start here, and then we'll come over there. He might appear in the clouds. And... He might come in the clouds. Thank you, Emily. All right. Let's see. Hand this down to John Hawley, because I could get over there. It'd be ugly. I'm older than dirt, and he speaks to me through his word. Speaks to you through his word. All right. Very good. Who, who else? What, how else would God speak? You guys have got nothing. I'm going to go in the overflow room and see what they're doing over there. All right, overflow. Oh, we got one over here. Good. All right, we got a couple. All right. Name, grade, and how God would speak to you. Nathan, and I'm in first grade by praying. By praying. That's great, Nathan. Thanks. I'm Alex, and I'm in fifth grade, and God would speak to me in a vision, yeah. In a vision, that's great. Jason Gum. Uh, I'm Jason. I'm in uh, uh, 43 years old, and uh, I was hoping he would speak to me through Alabama football, but I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. So um, maybe through um, seeing the acts of others. Okay, seeing the acts of others. Any others out here want to weigh in on this? All right, we're going to go back in the other room, see if anybody else has come up with a good idea. All right, adults, come on. We need a few more adults weighing on this. Oh, we've got Carrie. Here, well, here, we'll start. Linda, go ahead. My name is Linda, and I'm 46, and I think of the way that, that God has spoken to me, and he speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through... Um, dreams before through songs and other people. Excellent. Thank you, Linda. All right. So diversity. Any others? Carrie, we had you weigh in on this here. 
Uh, my name is Carrie, and I'm in the college group. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> that's right, sure, Carrie. Um, and uh, God speaks to me a lot through music. I'll just get a song in my head and when at the right time. So, excellent. Thank you. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Poor mother. Yes, mom. He speaks to me through uh, inner promptings. Okay, inner promptings. All right, that's good. That's good. All right, lots of ways God speaks to people. And Carrie, talking about being in college, remind me, if you are in college or college age, you're just a little past, you're welcome to my house tomorrow night for dinner. Uh, see me later for more information. Now, I, I think the reason adults don't like to answer this question is because it's normally pretty boring for adults to answer this question. You get, you know, a hundred adults together to be like, how does God speak to you? To be like, you know, through the word, you know, through scripture. Does God talk to you any other way? No, through the Bible, maybe a sermon occasionally. You know, that kind of thing is how adults adults work. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's good, and God does speak to us through his word. But I think sometimes we get in this rut where, where, where we sort of like say, God only does this. God only speaks to me through his word, or God only speaks to me through prayer, or God only speaks to me through this. But, but you ask kids, and it gets a lot more exciting, you know, visions and through, you know, God might appear and, and the, a trumpet. And I mean, all these sorts of things come out when we start to ask kids, how does God speak to you? I, I could ask this question, you know, like show of hands. Do you think God talks to you through trumpets? And, you know, you might, you know, weigh in on that. You know, does God speak to you through people that, you know, that, that work in a church? Or, or does God speak to you through uh, the television? Or does God speak to you through, you know, some sort of guy standing on the side of the road with a sign, does God speak to you through these homeless street prophets? And a lot of times we would say, well, probably not. But, but you go back to the book of Luke and you see that there's this guy named John the Baptist. And he is just about as homeless a street prophet as you're going to find. He's eating locusts and honey and he's wearing rough clothing. And he's there as this messenger of God. Does God speak to you through, through maybe a teenage mother? And we might think, well... Perhaps not, although those of us that know the story would say, well, I guess he's done it before, hasn't he? And you've got Mary in the gospel that you've got to think about. God chooses lots of people to be his messenger, and he gets his message out in a lot of diverse ways. And the problem for us is that when we expect God on our terms, we miss him. When we say God has to, me, to speak to me through this way, or God only does this, it's at that point in time that we're going to miss him, most likely. The Pharisees had that problem. If you want to look over at Luke chapter 7, verse 24, it's that first text I want to look at here this morning. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he asked them, he said, what, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? Did you go there to see some sort of natural phenomenon that was out there? Winds blowing around, society's winds blowing around, it's making all sorts of noise. Did you go out there to see that? Implied answer is no. What, what then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Uh, no. Look, those who put on fine clothing and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then, verse 26, did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. And that's a compliment. The next thing Jesus is going to say isn't a detraction against John, but it's an invitation to us. 
He's going to say that anybody that, that would become a part of the kingdom of God could attain that same level of greatness through that spiritual power that is found in Jesus Christ and His Spirit. He says, yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than He. Verse 29, and all the people who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledged the justice of God because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But by refusing to be baptized by him, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Verse 31, To what then, Jesus says, will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus here is giving a statement of history about how God has come in so many different ways throughout history to speak to his people. You know, he's come through the weeping prophet Jeremiah, and he showed up in a burning bush to Moses, and he spoke to the people directly and straightforward through a prophet like Isaiah, where he he names the name and he says the times, and he says, this is how it's going to be. And he's spoken to people through visions like to Ezekiel that are just wild. They're just crazy. And now he says, listen, Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders and priests and all you people. He says, I've come to you now in two ways. I've I've come to you through John the Baptist, who who lived a very austere life, uh, much an ascetic. And he's just, you know, basic. And he's just out there telling you how it is. And it's kind of a sad message. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Get ready. And, And what did you say to that guy? You said, look, you're possessed by a demon. This is that parable. He says, you know, it's like children playing. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. These are children in the marketplace playing funeral, playing the game funeral. They're going to go bury somebody. That's what kids back then played. They played funeral. Let's go bury somebody. That's what they did. They, They played funeral. And they said, you didn't like that game. And so we played a happy game. We played wedding. And we played the flute. And you wouldn't dance. And Jesus says, that's me. John came telling you to repent. I've come saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven's here. Let's be excited. Let's celebrate. And you've rejected that too. He says, we just can't make you happy. I just can't make you happy. Whatever I do, however I come, you reject me. Why? Because they didn't come the way that the Pharisees had expected. Now, I know we often give the Pharisees a bad name, but let's give them a little credit. These are men that had dedicated their lives to studying God's Word and to teaching it to others. They had a lot of shortcomings. They they weren't perfect by far. Jesus saved His strongest words of judgment and criticism for them. But these were men who knew God's Word. And they ran a risk of missing Him, and they did miss Him. Because they said, Jesus is going to look like us. He's going to be reasonable. He's going to be respectable. He's going to be put together. He's not going to take risks. He's going to sort of establish order. And when Jesus came and said the Spirit just blows where it wants and the people of the Spirit are the same way, they just couldn't handle that. They couldn't get it because they thought Jesus would look like them. We do it too, don't we? And we confuse people to sort of always be like ourselves. We, we pray to God, we pray and think that God is going to be like us. It, it happened to me actually, a guy confused me for somebody else in a, in a bathroom one time. Um, I was going to wash my hands at this bathroom, and, and this man, this behemoth of a man, this big square block of a man was there washing his hands, and he had a giant tank top on because he was a giant man, and, 
and it's at Harley-Davidson, Oakland. Now, I'm from California, and, you know, Dad's a big Raiders fan, and, and you know, been to Oakland a couple times, and so I just thought, well, you don't see a lot of Oakland shirts around, you know? I said, hey, man, you've been to Oakland. He's like, yeah, I did a cruise out there. I said, that's, that's cool. I said, I said, that's good. Did you have fun? He said, oh, yeah, you know, you... You know how those cruises are. You know, they're just great. You know, you get together, do a big rally. And, and I said, well, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, and he said, well, yeah. He said, you know, people don't understand us. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't understand us. What, yeah. He's like, you know, because this, this tank top, it costs $40 at the Harley-Davidson shop. But people are always judging people like us because, you know, I'm not wearing a polo. But this tank top costs more than anybody's polo I've ever seen. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm starting to realize this is getting dangerous quickly. I'm afraid that he's going to find out I'm not the biker that he thinks I am. And it's, it's hard to confuse this. I mean, you would see this. I was dressed like this. You would think that. But he just sort of assumed that because he was that way, and I said something about that, that I was that way. And it's funny when you think that, you know, I would be mistaken for a biker, although I've still got it. Um, you know, but it's tragic it's tragic when we do it with God. When, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, God's going to look like us, what happened was they missed him. So let's not let that be our problem. We're going to sing a few more songs, and we'll finish this up here just in a little bit. Let's all stand together, church. We sing how great thou art to God because He is great. He is greater than we can figure out or imagine or define. And we get in trouble when we say God only does this or God always acts this way. Now, there are things we can say about God like that. He's always faithful. He's always loving. He always tells us the truth. He's always uh, concerned about His people. But God in His expression and the way we experience Him is incredibly varied And so if God doesn't look like us, what should we look for? What should we expect? Well, how about this? We should expect God and expect Him in ways we don't expect Him. How's that? We should expect God and expect Him in ways we don't expect Him. We could say that more briefly. Let's try this. Uh, We should expect God to surprise us. How about that? We should expect God to surprise us. Now, the problem with adults normally is that they don't really like surprises. I see some nodding. Yeah, we don't really like surprises nearly as much as kids really like surprises. Um, I want to give you some information here that I think illustrates a good difference between kids and adults. And if you're a a faithful TED Talk listener, then you've probably caught this before. If you're like, I don't know what a TED Talk is. This is perfect for you. It's going to come as a surprise. It'll it'll be good practice. All right. So here we go. A guy by the name of Peter Skillman worked as the vice president of Palm uh, in charge of design and then also for Nokia, came up with this thing called the Marshmallow Challenge. The Marshmallow Challenge. And, And here's what it is. You get 20 sticks of spaghetti. You get a yard of tape a yard of string, and one marshmallow. And here's what you've got to do. You've got to build a structure, um, and you build it 
to support the marshmallow, okay? So you build as tall of a structure as you can, and then you've got to put the marshmallow at the very top of it uh, and, and see how much weight it supports. And whoever builds the tallest structure is the group that wins. And he's taken this sort of team-building exercise on the road. He's gone all across the country. He's done this internationally. And it's surprising, but there are some really consistent results with who does well and who doesn't. Let's look first at who performs poorly. Really across the board, the people that do the worst at this are, wait for it, they're recent business school graduates. The people that just recently graduated from business school, and so you may be rethinking your major right now, um, they do the worst at this, like by far. They do, they do terrible at this, and they try to figure out why is it that they do so bad. I mean, these are college-educated people. And Peter Skillman thinks that it's, uh, they spend too much time jockeying for position. You know, who's going to be the president of Spaghetti Inc. And, you know, all these sorts of things instead of really engaged in design. Now, now here's who does consistently well. And you're going to like this. Uh, kids, you're going to like this one a lot. The people that perform consistently well are recent graduates of kindergarten. <laughs> recent kindergarten graduates outperform business college graduates, okay, by a long shot, okay, let's look here at at the the overall performance, here's what we've got, average is about 20 inches, business school does 10, okay, lawyers 15, all right, we'll leave that one alone, we we don't want to get sued, then we're going to move over to kindergartners, they're hovering about 25, 26 inches, okay, that's like twice the, the height, Sam real good at math, of the business school graduates. The only people that really outperform them consistently are architects and engineers. Thank, thankfully, right? You want an engineer to be able to build, you know, and so they can. CEOs, Fortune 500 companies, consistently do not do as well as kindergartners. Unless you bring in their administrative assistant. Seriously, you bring in their administrative assistant, and then they get to 30 inches. But without them, they're nothing, okay? They can't do nothing without them, all right? So we, we can sit here, and we could try to figure out, well, why? Why is that? Why is it that these people don't, and the kids do so much better? Well, let's, let's look at the timeline. They've actually studied this, how people spend their time in the middle of the marshmallow challenge. So let's, let's click over to that. Uh, the business students and most adults follow this plan up here. They have 18 minutes to do this, and so they spend, you know, the first few minutes orienting. Hi, I'm Bill. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I've graduated from this place, so forth, so on. And then they start planning. They're like, you know, we should build us a structure that holds a marshmallow. That's a good idea. Let's, let's go with that. Well, what structures can we think of? Well, how about the Eiffel Tower? And they, they come up with an idea, and they spend most of their time talking. Then they start to build, and then they wait to put the marshmallow on to the very last minute. And they're like, all right, we're going to blow everybody's minds. We're going to put the marshmallow on top here. And then all of a sudden, this ta-da moment turns into the uh-oh, because it all just like collapsed. And now they've got two minutes to rebuild the whole thing or try to shore it up. So that's how most adults do it. They, they have one idea in mind. They go, this is the one way, the best way, maybe the only way to do this right. Kindergartners take a different approach. Here's, here's how the kindergartners use this. Um, they usually build about five structures in the 18 minutes. They build one after the first three minutes, and they go, man, that was fun. Let's do it again. And so they do it again. 
And they go, we still got like 20 minutes? Well, let's, let's go. Let's bring it on. And so they get more, and they keep building. And they're glad to try 100 different ways. Let's, let's build it this way, and let's build it that way. And nobody's jockeying for position, and they're all interested to see, will your idea work? Will it work as good as my idea? Well, what if we put our ideas together? And they try, and they explore, and they discover, and they generally come up with the most creative slash ugly structures you can you I mean you look at some of the pictures and they're like they're really bizarre but they work they work because they're not afraid to try and discover you know something in a new and different way but for the adults they're like man we're going to do this in one way and one way only and if i might i think that this has great relevance to what we're talking about as far as expecting God to surprise us. I think most of us as adults, as Christians, we sort of say, God works this way. He, he speaks to me only through Scripture, only through prayer, only through this sort of thing. And, and when all of these other opportunities for God to speak to us show up, we miss it because we go, that's not how God works. But if we could have maybe that faith like a child that Jesus talked about, and if we could say, well, maybe God's doing something different, or maybe I should expect God to surprise me today, Maybe he would show up in a hundred different ways if only we had the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I'll tell you, I think this is really true of our relationship with God. You know, some people will say, you know, listen, hey, I I tried that that God thing once. I tried Christianity once, and it just really didn't work out for me. If that's you, I'm going to speak honestly to you. I I think that you're a lot like the Pharisees. You've expected God to show up in one way and one way only. And when he didn't come through the way that you decided God had to work in all of your infinite wisdom, you were disappointed. But the truth of the matter is is that God is doing something different and exciting and new. And if you've got the eyes to see and the ears to hear, God will show up. We've got to become like children, eager to discover, to try, to seek, and to explore. If we do, I suspect God will surprise us. Let's look here at the text. This is the youngest child's response in Scripture recorded, as far as I can think here, in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. If you've got a Bible, we'll just go back a few pages to Luke chapter 1. I'll read this here. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. There's a lot of things we could pull out from this text if we only had the time, but We'll focus on a few. I mean, we could talk about how uh, Elizabeth is the one that greets Mary and not Zechariah. Why? Because Zechariah was a priest who knew how God worked. And then when an angel showed up, an angel from the Lord showed up and met him in the temple, God's house, God's messenger, Zechariah said, oh, I, I don't think God works this way. And he was condemned essentially to be mute for a period of time. But when Elizabeth, this woman, who for her whole life has not been able to bear a child, who for her whole life, all of her neighbors and friends looked at her and said, God's judging you for some sin because if you were accepted by God, you could have a child. It's this woman who's been rejected by her family, who's not part of the inside group. She's the one that has the faith to receive God, working in some new and miraculous way through this child. We could talk about that. We could talk about why Mary sets out to go see her. 
Maybe it's because Joseph is still having a hard time. Maybe the, the Matthew vision of the angel to Joseph hasn't shown up yet. And Joseph is still wondering, how is it that God does these sorts of things? And Mary, this pregnant teenage girl, is going, I don't know how, but I know that God does unexpected things. And she expected God's surprise and received it with joy. I don't know why. There's a lot of things we could wonder about here, but, but I think the thing that's most spectacular is this John the Baptist who is still there in utero inside of Elizabeth, and he hears the voice of Mary and recognizes the voice of the Lord. That's how it comes. When we expect God to surprise us, we find him in a lot more places. So I think we should expect a God, God to surprise us because he almost always does. I think this is why we're told to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Because children aren't afraid to meet God in a new and different way with surprise and wonder. Oh, and, and one more thing. Perhaps the moral of the story of all of this, of, of marshmallows and John the Baptist and receiving the kingdom of God like a child, perhaps the moral of this story is for those of you that have not found God yet because you've looked in one place and He wasn't there and so He must not exist Scripture makes it clear that God is to be found by those who look for Him. And so I would say, look again, just someplace else, because I suspect that's where you'll find God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank You that You reveal Yourself to us in ways that we couldn't expect. Lord, through a talking donkey in the Old Testament and a burning bush and a giant boat. Lord, there is no end to Your creativity there is no end to the way in which you will come to reach us. And so, Lord, for us this morning, I pray as we come into this Christmas season that we would not be so clearly set and defined in how you will communicate with us, Lord, but that we will allow the wonder and the mystery of this Christmas season to, to get a hold of us. And that, Lord, you would show yourself to us in some way, some new and exciting and refreshing way. And when you do, Lord, we'll, we'll recognize that because you're going to help us to do it. And we'll give you all the glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, friends. We've come now to our time where we sing a, a song of decision. We do this every week because we believe that God is working in new and unexpected ways in your life. We don't know about it. I don't know about it. But maybe God spoke to you this week and you need to respond. You need to receive Jesus or you need to make a commitment to his church. I don't know what it is. But if you need to respond to something the Spirit's leading you to, we'll invite you to come forward. If that's not you, let's take this song and this time to prepare our hearts and our, our minds and, and turn them towards Christ as we get ready to meet him here at the table. Please be standing.